But Henry was fairly clear in the shot. He didn't have a romantic expression. He had a nervous one. Simone zoomed on the camera's display, taking a closer look at Henry. He was in his fifties, pudgy, balding, goatee, glasses. In the photo, his brow was furrowed into a stack of skittish creases. Simone aimed her camera again and waited for the fog to clear. When it did, she held down the release, taking about a dozen more shots before the fog closed around her. The images in her camera didn't become any more romantic. They showed Henry taking an envelope out of his jacket and passing it across the table to the blonde. She slipped it into her purse without looking inside. Then the waiter came over and took their order. Simone rubbed at the back of her neck. Ms. St. Michelle had only suspected an affair when she hired Simone. Her exact request was to find out what her husband was up to. From the look of it, it wasn't an affair, but it was still suspicious. Even if the envelope was just cash, no one used cash anymore unless they had to. And passing it across the table in an unmarked envelope didn't exactly make it seem above board. Simone squatted down and leaned on the rail again. She needed a shot of the blonde's face, but she couldn't get it from this angle. She pressed a button, and the camera shrank down to the size of a business card, which she slipped into her trench coat sleeve. Then she stood and walked to the stairs at the other end of the roof, glancing out briefly before heading down. She was on the roof of a 24-story building, so the ocean lay four stories down churning just below the twenty-first floor. The fog was thick, but she could hear the waves lapping at the other buildings around her, and the worn wooden bridges that connected them to one another and to the permanently moored boats that made up New York City. New York, city of bridges and boats. The green light of algae generators pulsed through the fog here and there, giving the view an eerie glow and, through it, the silhouette of the skyline bursting from the sea. It wasn't the iconic skyline of the past, just the top, with wide plains of ocean between crumbling towers and large boats floating low on the horizon, like a steel archipelago. Waves left streaks of yellowed foam, like a sea chart against the buildings and boats. Everything smelled and tasted of salt. Simone walked down to the 21st floor and stepped onto a bridge via a large window that had been converted into a door. Most of the city's bridges clung to the buildings, wrapped around their exterior walls and branching off into streets that connected nearby buildings or boats. Sometimes the bridges were nice, well-kept, wide enough for many people. Sometimes they were like the bridge Simone was walking on now creaking wood planks hovering over a hungrily lapping ocean. The banisters were splintery, so Simone didn't touch them. Waves splashed at her ankles, but she had grown up here. She was used to it. New York, though technically still part of the United States, had long begun to consider itself its own country, hundreds of miles from the Chicago coastline and the conservative religious mainland. 
the Washington Monument and Lincoln Memorial had been airlifted to Salt Lake City, but no one tried moving New York. All the other drowned cities, like D.C. and Boston, were graveyards now. Spires and flat tops of buildings tilting out unevenly from under the water, like old headstones. Not New York. Though some older buildings had been worn away by the waves, others, retrofitted and laminated in that technological wonder, glass steel, stayed where they were as the ocean rose, closing off the bottom floors as they filled with water. There were newer buildings, too, designed to withstand the water, and decommissioned boats clever entrepreneurs had bought and moored around the city. There were a million New Yorkers left, and they were stubborn. They built the bridges themselves, and everyone bought personal algae generators.